Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Cooperative is brought to you by the National Cooperative Bank. NCB has been our sponsor for seven years. They've been excellent sponsors. Uh, they have really helped us not only with financials, but also with ideas of what we can do. And today we have Capital Impact Partners on today with Shy Fresh. Uh, Allison Powers from Capital Impact Partners and Camille Kerr from Shy Fresh out of Chicago, Shy Town. Allison. Can you tell us yeah. what Capital Impact is? Capital sure. Impact Thanks, Vernon. So Capital Impact Partners is a CDFI, or Community Development Financial Institution. And for those of you who don't know that jargon, uh, CDFIs are financial institutions that are dedicated to delivering responsible, affordable lending to historically disinvested communities. And Capital Impact has dispersed over $2.7 billion since 1982, so we're one of the largest CDFIs in the country. And over $300 million of those dollars have gone directly to uh, finance cooperatives over the years. We actually started as part of the National Cooperative Bank. Before we became a CDFI, we like to say that co-ops are part of our DNA or in our roots of our organization. So. You started out at NCB, and then you branched out on your own as a CDFI. Mm -hmm. $2.7 billion. I don't even know how many zeros that is, billion. <laughs> billions I got. That's six zeros. I guess that's nine zeros. <laughs> 2.78 zeros after that. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Since 1982. So what do you do yeah. at uh, CDFI, Allison? So CDFIs, we're not only lenders, we also have programmatic arms. Every CDFI is required to do some sort of technical assistance, program policy. And so I am on the programmatic and strategy team. I actually have a background in uh, affordable housing cooperatives. And so I really, my main job is to really build out our work around cooperative development and think about the ways that a CDFI like ours can be a bridge between co-ops and other CDFIs, foundations, you know, what role can we play in the space? And I'd also like to add that beyond co-ops, Capital Impact also works in affordable housing, aging, education, healthcare, and food access. So we have a pretty uh, wide portfolio. So. Are you open to getting calls from people or emails from people that may be looking for help, technical help or financial help in those spaces? Oh, yeah. We get calls a lot. Uh, usually, I mean, we're not a direct technical assistance provider in the way where we are going to help a group that is forming a food co-op through all of the steps and the pro forma and the, you know, analysis. But I certainly talk to people on a weekly basis that are at various forms of uh, development, mainly in uh, food, worker, and housing cooperatives. Those are really the sectors that we focus on. Um, it's connecting them to, to partners. It's suggesting you know, grant funding they might go after. And if the fit is right, it could be passing them on to our lending department and seeing if they're a fit for for financing. Although I will say we tend to finance some of the larger deals 
uh, that have some sort of real estate component. So most of our lending is done in either affordable housing or food cooperatives. So if somebody wanted that's listening out there wanted to get in contact mm-hmm. with you or Capital Impact, how would they do that? They could just shoot me an email at apowers at capitalimpact.org. A-P-O-W-E-R-S. Yes, at capitalimpact.org. And, you know, I will say that we we are aware that because we can only finance some of these larger deals, but we we really want to support work throughout the ecosystem, particularly with a focus on racial equity uh, we've really been rethinking some of our strategy around co-ops during the past five or six years, especially when our newish CEO, Ellis Carr, came on about four years ago to replace Terry Simonette. And I believe you've had both of them on your your program before. And, I have. Um, I have. And they were excellent, both of them. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. They're both great. And, you know, Ellis has really we really thought a lot about our deeper focus around racial equity and and bridging the racial wealth gap. So that's really the the lens we see our cooperative work in, you know, job quality, building assets, thinking about culturally competent technical assistance in the communities we serve. And this was one of the reasons we uh, wanted to do the Co-op Innovation Award was really thinking about what are ways that we could support some of those, you know, smaller, innovative, amazing projects that are going on all throughout the country that oftentimes have a hard time getting funding for various reasons, including a lot of funders don't understand the cooperative model. So so you started that when, the Cooperative Innovation Award? So this is our sixth year. Sixth year? Yeah, so, so it started in so. 2015. So you started looking at racial inequality and the racial wealth gap. And that wealth gap mm-hmm. is for for an average white family in America, they have a wealth of $170,000, and the average black family has 17000 one-tenth of the wealth. And that's because yeah. of a lot of the racism that has happened throughout the 400 years or so. So um, you started this long before the George Floyd death, you were looking into this issue. Oh, yeah. Capital Impact has really been been thinking about this, this work for years, and we don't only think about it in terms of our externally facing work, but also internally. You know, who do we hire? What are our practices? What vendors do we work with? You know, for us, it's really a, a process. We're trying to be leaders within the CDFI community, and we know we're just starting on the journey, and we have a lot of work to do, but we've been trying to intentionally do that work for many years, and we look at cooperative development as one of the tools that can be in the toolkit of some of the communities we serve. You know, it's not the only thing, but it's a great thing, and it's underutilized, and people don't know about it, which is one of the reasons that this year, every year we have a, a bit of a different focus of the award. And this year working with the National Cooperative Bank, our focus was accessing new audiences. Accessing new audiences. And you've been, mm-hmm. Capital Partners have been around, Capital Impact Partners for 38 years. Mm-hmm. And you've been had this award for six years and you're looking at racial mm-hmm. equity, racial mm-hmm. wealth gap, and I've I applaud you because we, as seen by COVID and with George Floyd's death, this racism is huge in our culture to the point that a lot of people don't even know that they are being racist. They may have uh, white supremacy leanings. They don't even know it. And there's systemic racism throughout our culture, which I've been dealing with an African-American I am. And so I've been dealing with this all of my life. and I And I see a lot of it. I don't see all of it. Um, and I really appreciate and applaud Capital Impact Partners for what you what you guys are doing. Uh, so tell me now about this uh, award, this Cooperative Innovative mm-hmm. Award, looking for new people, new new spaces. Yeah. So when uh, you know, our goal has always been to encourage growth and development in communities of color or historically disinvested communities. And by that, we mean just 
communities that have been impacted by any of these historical structures or you know systemic racism i know that's a lot in the in the cultural dialogue right now redlining and systems like that uh, so this award is meant to be catalytic capital so to you know it's it's seed funding for projects that might not have gotten a, a lot of funding yet but there's a lot of potential and so we see ourselves as validators and we can really help amplify these partners and hopefully attract more funders to the space. Uh, we see it more of a part as a partnership than a grant. You know, we're not a foundation, so it's not our job to give grants, but it is our job to to seek out partners and see how we can really push the space forward. Um, we're also we want to support projects that are really informed by community and that are giving culturally relevant uh, co-op services. And I will say that I've been, you know, I'm in contact with the partners over the years. And since 2015, the nine grantees, so not including the folks that we grant, just granted to this year, but the nine grantees of the first five years leveraged their awards, which totaled $300,000 to secure more than $3.5 million in additional funding. And that funding has come from foundations, investors, local government. So we do see that that some of these initial dollars, while they have been small, usually the grants are twenty-five to fifty thousand dollars. That we try to be the first ones in the door, and then mm -hmm. hopefully other people follow with larger multi-year commitments. So they basically have been able to multiply what you all give them by twelve times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, did my quick math. That's phen that's phenomenal. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Shy Shy Fresh is one of the groups that won the award today, and we have Camille on with us today. Why did you choose them? What about their program? Yeah. You say, hey, we will make a donation to you guys. A grant. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, first of all, we were really impressed with the way they jumped into COVID and really you know, found their niche, even though they were a relatively new business, they really did it with so much intentionality. They sought out good partners, both locally and nationally. Their project is really designed for scale and replication, which is something that we always look for in projects. And we really felt like the Chicago ecosystem is growing and blossoming. There's some local government support. The goals that they set out were really clear and measurable. And it, it just seemed like they were just about to launch and ready to go, and and hopefully we could be validators for the project. And, you know, we knew there was a certain amount of risk being a startup in COVID, but there was so much their plan and their community roots were so strong. We just felt a lot of, a lot of confidence, and they've already taken off since we've made the decision. So we're really happy with, with that choice. Do you feel comfortable saying how much the award was? Uh, yes, it was $50,000. Say a little bit louder. That sounds great. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> a little bit louder. <laughs> okay. $50,000 yes, award. 50. Yeah. Oh, they can. Yes. Yes. That is wonderful. That's a wonderful way to get started. So you really like yeah. what they were doing since. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. unanimous with our review team. And how many people on your review team? Uh, there was seven, and it was a mix of people from Capital Impact and the National Cooperative Bank. And we try to be very, you know, we have a scoring system and we have two application rounds and try to, you know, try to be very, very intentional about it, but still leave a lot of room for discussion. And I also want to say that if Co-op Innovation Award the request for applications usually goes out in January. So if there's any organizations out there that want to, to be informed of when the award next award will drop in 2021, just sign up for any of our social media, um, you know, Twitter, Facebook, anything, and you'll get, you'll get the notification. So they can sign up. Can they go to mm -hmm. capitalimpactpartners.org and get that information mm -hmm. too? Yeah, capitalimpact.org. So you can go to their webpage and get that information mm -hmm. if you would like yep. to, or yep. look at all any of their social media. Okay. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So uh, I'm working with a group in 
Baltimore to start a some housing and they are looking for some worker co-ops. And this mm-hmm. model might be one. I've already told them about this model, by the way, um, when I read about it in NCBA's uh, weekly news newsletter, e-newsletter. Uh, so they might be coming out. So, yeah, it would be great if they would um, contact you guys about that funding and maybe contact Camille. So, Camille, um, good morning. Good morning. Thanks so much for having us on here. I'm so excited to be on. Thank you for joining us this morning. Um, how did how did you guys feel when you got this fifty thousand dollar award? Oh, Allison got to hear the whole reaction. I uh, I brought. I was like, because you know, it was a it was one of those ones where it's like, okay, in a couple of days we'll let you know if you got it. And she's always so like so professional, like you know, I can't let you know how it's going or anything, but we will as soon as the committee. And so when she called us to let us know. I went in the kitchen. I was the day I was in the kitchen. Um, we have our own kitchen, uh, private kitchen and a shared kitchen incubator space. And so I went in the kitchen. I was like, uh, somebody has something to tell you. And I held up the phone and Allison let the team know that we got the $50,000 award. And I think people heard us outside the building. This is like a, a sealed building. <laughs> Everybody was like, because yeah, it was. It was our first. Besides my personal investment in the building, it was our first um, first grant. We were we were going off a hope and a prayer, you know, that we we could that we could launch in the middle of COVID. We were just doing a few meals off of donations that we had received. So, like, to get the buffer to be like, okay, we can make payroll for <laughs> for the next. Uh, you know, a few weeks and figure out our plan and, and look for other sources of, of revenue in the next little while. But it was uh, it was a huge relief for me personally, just like that, that we um, had the resources to keep moving. And and our team was uh, just overjoyed to, you know, it was that first like like Allison was saying, that first validation of them being like, OK, we're not it's not just. It's not just like us alone made up in the corner like no we're we're doing this we're part of this and and uh, this co-op space and and we're going to and and we're going to make it you know so it was um not you know like it's a business it's insecure constantly and forever but but that but that moment was one where it's like okay like you, you know you live off of those moments of hope that we're going to um keep growing keep um, keep moving forward and and succeed in our in our space. So it really uh, it was it was a really critical moment for us. So uh, I just put myself in that space on the outside of that building, and I heard people cheering and laughing and jumping up mm-hmm. and down and dancing. Was that the space? Was that what it looked like when you all? Heard? <laughs> yeah, it was pretty loud. So we got a, our kitchen is like you know it's just like five or six hundred. Uh, square feet, our own space, the whole building. We're out of this place called the Hatchery, and it's like a kitchen incubator, but they have private kitchens for companies that are trying to get get launched. And so it was like we're inside our little kitchen, inside this bigger building, and I swear you still could have heard us on the outside of it because it, yeah. <laughs> it was so excited, yeah. So how many people uh, that, was <laughs> that was a good day. That was really yeah. great, yeah. So it, it kind of made you feel good, too? Oh my gosh! Yeah, I emailed. I emailed everybody who had been involved with the award and just said, "This is, this is it. This is the, this is the reward. This is the dessert. This is the best part." It was really great. Yeah. Good news. Good news. Yeah. So, Camille, how many people are on your team? So the Shy Fresh member owners who are the um, who govern 100% of the business. There's five worker owners. Um, they're all formerly incarcerated, uh, primarily black women. There's, there's one guy. Um, and, um, and then we have a chef consultant who has managed the kitchen so that we could make sure we had that expertise, um, in the room and, um, also a black woman. And, uh, and then, you know, I show up sometimes, but they kicked me out of the kitchen after like week one. <laughs> they were like, you can help us with the other stuff, but we don't need you in here. So 
<laughs> I show up and do the other and do, uh, you know, I, I, uh, my firm, so I'm, I have a consulting firm called Upside Down Consulting and we do, we do some of the management consulting for them. So like grants and partnerships and some of the finance management and, and sales and stuff like that. But, um, but I'm, I'm not often, I was helping out week one and they were like, thank you, uh, Maybe you can focus on what you should focus on, and we'll do this. So, but yeah, there's seven so, of us uh, that are consistently around doing this work right now. So you're not the cook. Is that what they try to tell you? I am. Not, I'm not the cook. Um, I'm not the cook. They have because we, you know, we kind of. So when we built this business, we were like, look, we just had a set of criteria that we were looking for. Um, that we could pay living wage from the onset, that it wasn't going to um, be dangerous jobs, like low OSHA, like injury rates, that it was something that um, didn't have uh, any barriers for folks who have um, a, a um, conviction of any sort. So we, we just had these set of criteria, and we found that the food industry, and especially industrial food production, was a good fit. But then when we brought in potential members, we were like, okay, well, what do you think of this idea? Should we go a different direction? And and I think three or four of them already had food experience um, because it wasn't, it is an industry that is accessible to people with a background. So, um, so um, they, they, a, a lot of the folks on our team already were really good cooks, had already worked in kitchens, had managed kitchens before. So, um, uh, so that was really fortuitous for us. And, and, and it meant that, you know, what limited experience I had was kind of dwarfed by, by our chef consultant and by the other people in the room. So it's just not a place where they needed my expertise at all, which was, like I said, very limited. <laughs> okay. So Camille, let me get it straight. You work for a consulting firm that helped these folks figure out what kind of business they wanted to go into and then to help them to set up the business, is that correct? Yeah, well, my con so the consulting firm I started was uh, just to to promote workplace democracy and cooperatives in general, economic democracy more generally. So I do everything from field building to starting new businesses. But Shyfresh um, is so the 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 purpose behind Shyfresh was. There's, you know, a, a lot of us out here who've been reading the incredible work by Dr. Nemhart and, you know, the, the book that, that Kali put out and all the work that that is going out there around um, how cooperatives can be a powerful source for, um, for economic autonomy and uh, bridging the wealth gap and uh, in black communities specifically. And so um, the... We saw so much talk about it, and I wasn't seeing enough of the buds of, of creating those businesses. And, and so what I wanted to just use some of the consulting, the, the time and capacity I had in this consulting firm to work with organizers on the ground who were interested in, um, in using cooperatives for black economic development and, and see if we could, we could build something. So me and two, it was like, Three or four of us at any given time, a little development team um, of folks who were trying to figure out how we create a, how we can help spur a cooperative that could provide quality jobs and uh, economic autonomy and a liberatory workplace for formerly incarcerated folks in particular. So it was kind of like a, a project of our little development team. Um, to figure out how to how to get there, how to get it resourced, what the right kind of business model might be, and we our advisory board reflected our eventual membership, which is formerly incarcerated Black women, and so we we went um, through a whole process of being like, well, what's the right industry? How do we get started? And because we, we we could have started in the beginning, bringing the the potential members in, but we. Folks don't have a lot of time and a lot of resources, and we didn't want to we didn't want to take up that time and resources saying like, "Hey, we have like an idea that might take two years without paying you." You know, we wanted to like get to a point where we were like, "Here's a solid business uh, 
proposal that we have. You can take it in a different direction if you want, but we at least have a solid business proposal for you. You would completely control and own this autonomous business. We would have no control over it, but we would provide you support to get it launched. Um, if you want, if you want the opportunity to own this business, we would give you the supports you need. Um, and and people, we we actually so our advisory board. One of the members, Colette Payne, she works um, in a legal aid services here in Chicago, and she works on advocacy issues for formerly incarcerated Black women, primarily or formerly incarcerated women. And she um, recruited. One of our members who then recruited four, three other ones. So they all knew each other that like four of them, not all of them knew each other, but they all were connected by one or more of people in that group. And one other person came, Danny came as well. And so the five of them came to the first meeting um, where I was like, here's an idea. And, you know, we, we handed them out some materials and those five people were like, you need to recruit lots of people because people will come and go. You don't know who's going to stick, but I don't know. My instincts were like, I don't know. Let's just go on, all in on who showed up. And uh, so those five who showed up to the first meeting are the founding members of Shy Fresh Kitchen, have stayed with us the entire time. And other people have wanted to join, but we don't quite have capacity to bring on other folks yet. So who, the people who showed up to that first meeting are, are the founding members. And to our uh, delight, they all really liked the idea of doing a food business. They liked the the draft business plan. And then we went through a a like business model canvas and planning process where they made it their own. Okay, we're going to take our first break now. We'll be right back, everybody. Please don't touch that dial. Welcome back, everybody. This is Barnard Oaks and the program is Everything Cooperative. And this morning we have Camille Kerr, uh, who is with a consulting firm in Chicago to help start Shy Fresh, and Allison Powell from Capital Impact Partners, which is a CDFI, which she talked about earlier. And Camille, we were talking before we took the break about how this got started, and the first five people that came to the first five meeting were the are the worker owners and the starters, and it's mainly it's folks that was previously incarcerated, four of which are black women, and you all allowed a man to come in, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was funny. It's, it's, it's kind of a running joke because, I mean, Danny's awesome and a great part of the team, but it is kind of like, you know, the, the running joke is, oh, yeah, we, yeah, we let you in. But, of course, it's one of our purposes. So formerly incarcerated black women have a – 40 plus, I think 43 or 45% unemployment rate. So one of one of the parts of our mission was creating employment opportunities specifically for that population. But also, of course, we're, I mean, the people who apply or who, who comes into the business, we're not, we're not restricting it. But that was, that is part of the mission just because it's so drastic. I mean, if you look at formerly incarcerated white men, the, the, the numbers are like 17% unemployment rate. So and so we wanted to specifically look at formerly incarcerated black women because they have by far the highest unemployment rate. But we also um, we also understand that there's barriers for everyone who's formerly incarcerated. And that's the, the mission is wider. But also we wanted to create a space where formerly incarcerated black women felt like they could have a liberating space. So. Black women's stories are even worse. I have a stat that bothers me a lot. This 40% unemployment rate is awful. And when we talk about a wealth gap, when we were talking to Allison earlier, the average white family has a wealth of $170,000 and a black family has 17000 But a black head of household, a female black head of household, their average net worth is a negative $6. So they owe more than they own. And so if you take that and add it to such 40% for previously incarcerated folks, uh, returning citizens, yeah, it's it's awful. So I'm, I'm glad you, you took that demographic and say, okay, how can we create businesses for formerly incarcerated black women? And you allow a black man to come on too. Okay, that works. Good news. Good news. <laughs> 
So what is what is Shy Fresh? What is the business? So Shy Fresh is a food service contractor. We focus uh, on prepared meals for institutions that offer daily meals to the people who they serve. So think about charter schools, well, schools in general, but, you know, it's often harder to get into the public school market because folks like Aramark and Sodexo are in there. So we look at charter schools, nursing homes, a lot of nonprofits do programming where they provide a meal as part of the work that they do. And so most of our clients right now, you know, we're talking to uh, a local YMCA, we're talking to health clinics about health-related programming that they do, We nonprofits that have after-school programs that they provide meals with, stuff like that. We, we could do daycares. We haven't really targeted that segment yet, but um, the, our, our hope is to, is to combine primarily charter schools and nonprofit programs. And then we, kind of, we have a, we're also testing out retail clients. So we have one coffee shop that we're providing uh, prepared breakfast sandwiches to. It's a black-owned coffee shop. So a lot of black-owned coffee shops want to provide breakfast sandwiches, but the ones that are offered are often um, have pork, and a lot of black community does not eat pork. So we have a chicken sausage, a black-owned chicken sausage vendor that we're working with to create these breakfast sandwiches that we're putting, uh, that we're offering to um, primarily black-owned coffee shops, but we might uh, target a wider audience uh, later. So that's the only retail client um, that we're working with right now, but mostly mostly nonprofits and community organizations and schools, et cetera. So have you thought about offering prepared meals to folks that have COVID-19 that have to stay home that you could drop off? Yeah, so we, so we have our main first grant after, so we did leverage the, the support that Capital Impact provided to get additional equipment and be able to scale up to take on a contract that Urban Growers Collective, so they're a local network of urban farms, of Black-owned urban farms, and they got a grant to address food insecurity during COVID. And their work to do that is to provide grocery bags of nutrient-dense produce, and then they wanted to expand that to also increase, also provide meals. So they got a grant from the Chicago Regional Food System Fund to alleviate food insecurity, and they used us as their primary subcontractor for for those meals, us and, a, and one other co-op, Las Visionarias, and another black-owned business, Majani's Restaurant, which is a vegan restaurant in the south side of Chicago. So the three of our organizations prepared meals for folks facing food insecurity, and that's been the bulk of our revenue during the pandemic. And the reason we're focused long-term on those other business models is because uh, you know we don't feel like this type of funding will last long-term and we want to be able to still feed our communities through one of the outlets where they get a lot of their nutrition and food, which is these institutions where they go to school or go to after-school programs or, you know, for in the case of nursing homes where they live. So shy for us, I got shy is for shy town or Chicago. And what does the fresh mean? Oh, the fresh means that our meals are, are, are freshly cooked daily. So this, you're not, you're not seeing stuff that um, we prepared a long ahead of time, you know, buy a machine and sits in a cooler. This is food that, that hands that love food built and that day and, and brought to you with love, you know, like this is, it's, it's fresh food. I mean, and it's, and it's, you know, our ingredients are literally, you know, farm to farm to table. Like we, we get a drop off from urban growers farm where they picked it that day, literally like that day or the day before they picked that food got it to us and we made, you know, a fresh salad or, or sauteed greens or um, whatever that's in there with, um, in, in every meal we have local produce in. You're making me hungry. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Sauteed greens sounds really good right now. Okay. So that's the fresh part of it. And you're talking about that you, you may look at daycare centers. How do these, if, if these women and men have children, how do they take care of their children? One question. How do you, transportation, that seems to be the two main reasons or hardships for families. So how do you handle that with with the five people there? 
Yeah, no, the, our, our team, you know, multiple of our team are parents. Some of them have slightly older kids, but they, you know, actually childcare hasn't, at least from what I've heard, you know, we're, we're there to support them with whatever their needs are to get to, to work. But, um, childcare actually hasn't been something that's been brought up as an issue on our team, but transportation has one of our members didn't know how to drive and the getting to where we are is quite a hassle on public uh, transportation. But So I, I actually carpooled uh, with her. She had her permit. So I just carpooled with her and let her drive there back and forth for the, you know, the first couple of months. And she actually got her license a few weeks last month. Um, so one of the ways that we're doing it is just, you know, it's five people. I don't know if we're going to give, uh, be able to provide the level of, you know, service to every, if Chef Fresh has the resources, but it's five people. So we just meet people's needs, you know, right now. Housing is another one, like is um, housing insecurity. So we, we help them apply for all the housing grants for rent relief. And we we help them, you know, because, you know, some of our members, one of the reasons that we got started early, we, were, we weren't planning to get started until like now, maybe June or July or August, but we got started in April because folks got laid off and couldn't access uh, unemployment for one reason or another. And there's like, they were like, is there any way we could get income through this earlier? Because we, you know, we, we got started early out of necessity. And so with housing stuff, you know, we not only could start, you know, we're paying folks 18 an hour and with benefits right now, and uh, so that helped with with rent and housing stuff. But for folks who were housing insecure for one reason or another, you know, we helped figure out what are the resources because um, there are some resources out there right now. But there, you know, everything requires a little bureaucracy, a little bit of like, how do you fill out this? Is am I choosing the right you know box for this and this and is it going to get canceled so we help them navigate all of the resources that are available as well and so everybody's housing secure right now and folks all have consistent transportation and and yeah so we're everybody's everybody's getting there on time and we're getting the food out on time fantastic fantastic have you gotten any evaluations back from your customers Oh yeah, they said they said we're top shelf. Yeah, we're because we're trying to we're trying to redefine institutional food, right? When people think of institutional food, they're like, "Ooh, that's not something that I, don't I want like to eat," right? Yeah. But I don't like that. <laughs> but but we want. I mean, we want to show people that you know we have like uh, our our shy fresh burrito bowl, right? Where we have rice and meat and beans and cheese and fresh vegetables and a pico de gallo salsa and then our special shy fresh sauce and that's what somebody who's showing up for a program with a with a school or a nonprofit is getting you know it's not a choke sandwich as our team likes to call them and like a side of 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 chips it's 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 real food that's nutrient dense but that's also like you look at it and you're like I need to I want to eat this right now <laughs> and we're doing about on Monday we'll start doing about 500 meals a day so when we were talking to Allison you know well we were talking to Allison before we had we even had moved into our kitchen space. But when we got the grant, we were doing just 50 meals a day off of donations. And now we're doing 500 meals a day through various clients and, um, and the, that regional uh, food system grant to, to alleviate food insecurity. Allison, I don't, don't know about you, but uh, I want that burrito. Can I get how I'm I so hungry. <laughs> Can you FedEx like, one to me? <laughs> Yeah, I'm like thinking, what's in my fridge for lunch? Is there anything that good? I don't think so. It's it's wonderful, um, Allison. When when you hear this, that they've gone from fifty with not even fifty meals, but let's say they at fifty meals a day to five hundred meals a day, what does that do for you and how you feel about your participation in their success? Yeah, it is so exciting and it's really validating because. You know, when we first read the proposal, it was, you know, like I said, there's two rounds of the application process. So the first deadline was in February. And so when we first read it, it was still uh, a concept, an idea, and it hadn't been implemented yet. And in a short period of time, with COVID hitting in between, it's gone from a concept to 500 meals a day. And 
So the fact that, you know, we were able to kind of see that, which is a testament to their application, which was really clear and concise and outlined exactly what they were going to do. Because sometimes, unfortunately, I think people's good work doesn't come across in the application the way they want it to. So, so they really got their point across. We were able to see that and just to see how it's grown. It feels, it feels so good. And it makes me want to get more money in this pot to disperse to other co-ops because while we had three awardees this year, you know, our second round was 11 folks and all 11 of them, I mean, there's even more than 11 that should have been funded from the bunch, but I wish we had that, you know, million dollar Google money to be able to give out and give everybody $200,000 awards because there was just so many people, um, so many projects in that batch that were amazing. And the fact that that this one rose to the top is is really a testament to its strength because there are just amazing things going on all across the country and there needs to be a bigger platform and, and more dollars. So what's going on in my head right now is how can we support you guys in getting more money? Because 11 yeah. times 50 is a half a million dollars. Uh, and if you gave them 100000 each, you're talking about a million one. That's, and that would just be for this year, let alone the years mm-hmm. coming down the pipe. So how can we raise your, how can we help to raise your, you gave out 100000 this year. How can we get enough money to maybe give a million out of the awards for 10, 11, 12, 15 people next year. Wow. That would be nice to figure that out. I'd like to help you with that. And, and Allison, uh, the, so this so this round, uh, the focus was getting the word out or engaging new audiences with, with the cooperative model. And I think part of the way we can draw resources to it is, is that focus is really getting – so since we've launched, we've gotten – um, we've gotten in NBC5 locally here in Chicago. Uh, we've been in the Tribune once mentioned in another story, and we might have our uh, a story coming out this weekend on us in the Tribune, as well as Next City, Oscar. Uh, on, the, on the press side, Oscar kind of was like our, our capital impact on the funding side. He, he really early, um, Oscar Avello at, at, um, at Next City, wrote an article on us like uh, right after our launch that that made more people want to reach out to us and um, learn about us and free spirit media the 50 by 50 blog and a number of other outlets have have written about us and we're trying to just bring this concept to more and more audiences and the impact that it can have and um and, and ncb as well put something up on us as well so that i think that is part of part of it is is really you know spreading the word and the fact that this grant focused on it is helping i think catalyze that because all of our groups that want it part of what we're trying to do is get that word out there yeah definitely and i think just to add as a funder it's a really great way to get familiar with the co-op landscape and to really understand the model and the fact that, you know, Capital Impact and the National Cooperative Bank, both of us obviously having deep roots in the cooperative movement. You know, last year we actually partnered with the Workers Lab, which is an amazing organization that's really focused on job quality and innovative models of work. And one of the reasons they partnered with us is because they kept getting applications for some of their grants from cooperatives and they really wanted to understand more about what was cooperatives, how did they work, and how could they integrate them more in their understanding of a new economy, which I think they got. And now you see co-ops showing up a lot more in the final rounds of their applications. And so we're, you know, we're excited about this partnership. And this year, it's been a great way to work with the National Cooperative Bank, which has been, you know, obviously partners and friends and colleagues for a long, long time since our inception. Well, I had said earlier that NCB has been a, a partner, a matter of fact, an excellent partner in this this whole Everything Co-op radio show. And their mission is to support and be an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members, especially in low-income communities like south side of Chicago. So this fits right in with their mm-hmm. mission in, in helping the reason they got started. 
But uh, Camille, I'd like to ask you, uh, why did you choose the cooperative model as opposed to the capitalistic model? Why? Why the cooperative model? Oh, I'm a I'm a cooperator through and through. <laughs> um, why? The so why? Why? I mean, one, it feels like the only way, fair way to to organize institutions is democratically and sharing. I feel like, you know, cooperatives reflect our best selves, right? Where it, in an economic system that's based on the the values that we we purport to hold as as, you know, as humanity, ones of of cooperation and generosity and sharing and selflessness and and care and love for one another. And the capitalistic model, it encourages our worst selves. It's like, okay, this you're supposed to lie and win and all the things I tell my kid not to do, <laughs> that's what that's what's encouraged. So, I mean, this model, I feel like, is uh, part of a larger push for a system that reflects what humanity is, could be, should be, who we know we are in our in our hearts. And, and I mean, I was drawn to it as a as a field because I was, you know, doing civil rights and criminal justice work, and it felt like the underlying systems, the lack of resources that communities had were such a major driver of all of the negative outcomes that we were seeing in communities. And so I wanted to look for what are the economic justice models that feel like they could alleviate and, and transform these communities, and I didn't find that much. I mean, it was just all programs where you were putting people in jobs that weren't, you know, that that were sucking value and, and wealth out of communities, and what are those solutions that actually replant the, the value and wealth and resources back with us in our communities and and cooperatives obviously rose to the top of, of what exists, the experiments that exist in in creating this new type of economy. So I like the ethical values of cooperation, and that is honesty, openness, social responsibility, and caring for others. Or I like to say caring for one another, the golden rule. Uh, so, yeah, it fits right in with what you're talking about. That's the stated principles um, uh, values of co-ops and then the principles. So I'd like, uh, you said you're paying people $18 an hour. How did you come up with that? How do you afford that? That seems to be high for normal people working in food. Co I know McDonald's doesn't pay that. And some, maybe, I don't know if people working in, uh, in the kitchen of a restaurant would get that. So how did you come up with that figure? Well, we actually, we picked a business model where the, you know, the wages are, are higher, right? So we, we didn't pick a restaurant on purpose. We didn't pick, you know, retail food on purpose because the business models in those spaces require the wages to be so low. But in, in more industrial food production settings, the wages can be higher. It's part of the bottle. And we also just, we, we looked at the financials and saw what was possible. So all of my time is subsidized by upside-down consulting work. So my management consulting services were not charging the cooperative for. So we just looked at the books and we said, what can we pay folks and let them know, like, you know, we'll have to get more to make this wage sustainable. We're going to need to get more and more business and grow in these ways. And But, we're you know, we looked at the financials and we kept getting contracts and they were like, is this possible? And we're like, yeah, we, you know, for, for now we can, we can make those wages work and we can add benefits. And some of our clients right now, uh, like the regional food system, you know, we're getting paid $6 per meal and that's, you know, the rate that we're paying for labor is, is completely sustainable under that model. So we need more clients that look like, you know, getting $6 a meal, or we just need, to be more efficient in our labor to continue being able to pay this. And I think, I think we're on the path to do that. So, you know, it, I think it, it definitely helps having the management consulting side subsidized. Um, it means we can inflate those wages. And all it means is that we're not getting paid too much <laughs> as consultants. We're getting paid a reasonable amount. And so are the, you know, and so are the cooperators in the, in the business that they own. So there are seven uh, co-op principles. The first one is voluntary and open membership. So your co-op 
ought to be open to anybody, Democratic member control, the member control at one member, one vote. But I'm getting to the third principle, which fits in here, is that member economic participation. Normally, there's some fee to buy in, and they get a chance to um, spread the profits. They own the profits in this co-op. So they're making 18 bucks an hour, but they have a chance, if the place becomes profitable, to share in some profits that really increase their wealth. Do you have that baked into your model? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if there are if there's profitability, we'll have some for retained earnings, and then we will offer a dividend. I don't know if people will take it out as cash or if we'll put it into internal capital accounts. But if we're profitable every year that we're profitable, there's nobody else who owns this business right now. So so they will absolutely get get dividends. And so I mean, okay. they can. Okay. That's why we're looking at wages. You can you can take it out as wages early, and I think right now for a lot of folks because of the pandemic and how difficult it's been. Like, it's nice to have that set wage. And maybe later they'll be like, you know what, let's, let's like go lower on wages and then fight for that dividend at the end of the year and, and go for the growth. I mean, I'm not sure. I think it might be year to year how they think about sorting the money between wages and, and dividends. But, you know, we're, we're in that process. I know uh, one of our, can um, we, wait a minute. Hold on. Um, i got to ask you another yeah, question. We only have a couple yeah, minutes. Yeah. So the fourth principle is autonomy and independence. The fifth one is education, training, and information. So what training are they getting, and do they really have the control of the of the business? Do they make the decisions, these five member owners? Yeah, absolutely. So we're, we're completely autonomous. And so, uh, yeah, they, they check me when I don't, when I'm like, when, whenever I, I don't. So I got checked yesterday because I, I ran with the like momentum coffee with what, with our coffee client a little fast and was like, what do we do this, this? And they were like, you need to stop and see if this is something we want to pursue. And we do that Amen. with everything else. And they were like, this is not, and I was like, my bad. Okay, is this something we want to pursue? And yes, yeah, so like, and and we were doing a real estate decision making, and I was like, what about this spot? And they were like, look, this is the first spot we looked at. We need to go through a process, and we need to choose, and you need to like line up ten of them. You can't just we're not going to funnel into one opportunity like this. And so we slowed down. So I mean, I think that it it requires trust. They they do. Some decisions they, they trust me to do, and other decisions they really, they're like, if you're, you're making a decision like this, you need to let us know what the options are. You need to lay it out clearly, and, and we need to make those decisions. So I can, I, I can assure you that if I ever, uh, when I, whenever, as, as we're doing management consulting services, if I ever step out of line, they put me right back in it. But, um, but yes, they, right. they, are, they definitely know that they have control over this business. And then there's cooperation for among cooperatives, and so you have Capital Impact Partners, NCB, working with co-ops, and then with your organization, and then you're working with other co-ops, uh, and then there's concern for communities. So we've hit the, the seven principles of co-op, and if an organization is a co-op, it runs by these principles, and if it's not running by these principles, I say and declare it's not a co-op. So, Allison Powers from Capital Impact Partners and Camille Kerr from Shy Fresh, thank you so very much for your time. And everybody else out there, I really hope that you have a great week and live cooperatively. See ya.